As we were singing that last song, though none go with me, I still will follow, it hit me again, the strangeness of this season. I, I realized I would be preaching to a camera again, and I thought about how difficult that has been. And I thought about how difficult it's been to be the church in a live chat on YouTube. And I want you to know that if you're feeling alone, like none are going with you and you're still trying to choose to follow, that you're not alone. And that the point of us doing these live streams as we are is to try to connect us in the meager ways that we can. And I'd encourage you to reach out if you've been feeling alone to a pastor or a friend in the church to be the church outside of a live chat too. Um, I know I'm going to be doing more of that myself. You're not alone, church. Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Jesus, we thank you that we are never alone, that you are with us, and that you send your spirit to dwell in us. We thank you that that same spirit connects us one to another, and that even as we are spread across a city and across a country and around the world, that um, in you we have a closeness that um, goes beyond technology and the internet and YouTube. So we pray that you would use your spirit to speak to us individually, yes, but also collectively, that we would have a, an experience of truly being united in the word that we hear from you today. So we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're spending these weeks considering different moments in the lives of the disciples of Jesus, thinking about the ways that Jesus calls to his disciples to follow him and the kind of change that that means for them. In this season of regular change for us, of ongoing change for our church, of restrictions that seem to change or at least are clarified in perfectly unclear ways every couple of weeks, in this season, it's key for us to consider how change is a part of the life of following Jesus and to perhaps leverage the momentum of all this change and all that's happening around us to come out the other side as more fully formed disciples of Jesus ourselves. You might remember that last week as we began this series, we read Mark 4 and we heard the miracle of Jesus calming the storm and the sea. And we heard Jesus' invitation to his disciples to change from a posture of fear toward a posture of faith. From fear to faith, this is a core transformation in the life of all Jesus' followers. And that's a lesson that's still at the heart of the scripture reading that we heard today from Luke's gospel as well. But now, Jesus goes beyond the invitation and sets the disciples up to put it into action. In the very first sentence of Luke 9, Jesus does three things. The text says he gathered his disciples, he gave them power and authority, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to bring healing. Three actions. Gather, give, send. Gather, give, send. This sort of rhythm isn't just something that Jesus is doing with these twelve. 
but it's also core to the way that God has always interacted with God's people. In Exodus chapter 3, there's this story that you probably know of Moses and the burning bush. And in that story, God in the burning bush calls to Moses, gathers Moses to himself. Then he gives Moses this epiphany of who God is and this mission to God's people Israel in the land of Egypt. And then God sends Moses to do that work. In Isaiah 6, we see this same pattern unfold with the prophet. God gathers him into this beautiful vision of God's throne room. And then God gives him redemption and hope, forgiveness. And then God sends Isaiah out with a message to his people. This is, in fact, the very pattern of our worship every week. Gathering together as a community, even on a live stream. God then gives us equipping to do, um, through his word, to do his work, opportunity to respond in actions of faith and participation in the sacraments. And then God sends us out into the world of our daily lives to continue that participatory work. Gather, give, send. So in this text, Jesus gathers his friends to himself, Then he empowers them to do his work. He gives them power and authority. And finally, he sends them to go and do. I think the most important thing for us to realize in just this first sentence is the fluidity of these actions. Gathering and sending, they're almost the same thing. They're the same sentence, the same breath. The gathering is for the purpose of the sending. The giving is for the purpose of the mission that is ahead of them. It's all connected. God doesn't gather people or give gifts to people except for the purpose of sending people. All the church services in the world are meaningless unless in them and through them people encounter the living God and are gifted and sent to join him in his mission to the world. All the spiritual retreats that you can imagine, they do no good except for how they give us a better understanding of who God is and who we are and how we can participate in God's work in our lives. God always gathers so that he can send, always gives gifts so that they may be shared in the work that is set before us. We are sent then, not as we were, but rather as we now are, having been gathered and given good gifts by our God. This is a fundamentally different economy than the one that we're accustomed to. In God's economy, what's gathered is always scattered. What's given is always shared. Banks, in my experience, don't do that. The stock market doesn't do that. Most of our households don't work like that. But in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, that's the way that things have always been. Perhaps this season of refraining from gathering together in person affords us a rare opportunity to reconsider the importance of gathering to see how even at a distance it is still 
for the purpose of being sent to the work that God has called us to participate in. So God gathers in order to send. And then all the rest of this text that we heard today is about the sending. Still more evidence that that's what we're supposed to be paying attention to. Jesus gives instructions to his disciples as he sends them. He says, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus gives negative instructions and positive instructions. Jesus says things not to do and things that we should do. All the negative instructions are with regard to things. Don't bring them. Don't worry about them. All the positive directions have to do with relationship. Even in the very form of the directions that we're given, we are shown God's heart for this world. That people are far more pressing than things. Now, you might say that a reasonable master, a fair teacher, would certainly give their students a few minutes to prepare. I know whenever I have to leave the house, the condo, no matter how urgent I'm leaving, there are a few things I check to make sure I have. I do the triple tap. I do wallet, keys, phone right? Wallet, keys, phone. I have to have these three things before I leave the house. These things Jesus says not to bring are sort of the ancient equivalent of wallet, keys, phone. Are they so unreasonable to bring? We need to see that Jesus is forming his disciples in the ways of his kingdom and really emphasizing the urgency of this work. It's easy for us to imagine that a certain level of preparation is absolutely required before we can do the work of God in our world, before we can even point to God's kingdom in all the places where we find ourselves. But this story offers us an opportunity to change that perspective, to abandon that way of thinking. These disciples are fresh in following Jesus. And they're gathered and given power and authority. And then they're sent out. Because experience, experience doesn't nearly matter as much as that Jesus has called you to himself. Given you what you need for the work ahead and sent you to do it. The disciples, they don't actually need staff or bag or money or extra clothes to announce God's kingdom and to heal. None of those things are required for good news to be shared and healing to be brought. They only needed what Jesus could give them, and he'd given it to them. You, you sitting on your couch or lying in your bed, you don't need three years of seminary education. You don't need a co-op term in working the gospel. You don't need time to pack for the road ahead or time to wrap your mind around what God is calling you to. You also only need what Jesus can give you. And he's giving it to you. God, who has gathered you to himself, has also given you the things that you need to announce good news to your neighbors 
to offer comfort and peace to those who are mourning and distraught, to be a friend to the lonely and the isolated. Jesus calls you, has gifted you, and sends you. He will send you once more today to your unique context to be salt and light and to point out the many ways that the kingdom of God is coming near to the people who you will interact with in the week ahead. So, how should you interact with those who you're going to meet? We can learn a number of things from those very simple instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples to stay in the house where they're first welcomed. There's a depth to the relationship that Jesus is encouraging them to pursue. A more successful evangelistic ministry, at least numerically, would be brought about by going from house to house, by meeting as many people as you can, by spending time with as many people as possible. But this simple numerical expediency is not Jesus' goal. No, the disciples should stay in the place where they are first welcomed. Attend to that person and their family. Know their story and help them to spot the ways that God's kingdom is close to them. Offer words of peace and healing in all the places where sorrow and brokenness wounds them. This is not quick work, but it's good and it's important work. Too many Christians are so excited to share the gospel that they just pepper every conversation with Jesus. They look for every opportunity to insert little Jesus quips into every conversation they have. They wear Jesus on their sleeve, but the way they expect the gospel to work through their lives and affect the people that they interact with, it's superficial. It's transferred on to others like wet paint, and it's quickly washed away. Rather, the way of Jesus is to spend time with people, to understand them in order to understand what the kingdom of God will mean for them. How is it good news for their lives? To take all the time that you need and to simply be Jesus to them. Not in a hurry, not rushing them along, but choosing to sit with your neighbors exactly as you find them to hear their stories, to know their lives deeply and well. This is, in fact, the best and the most faithful way to both proclaim the kingdom and bring healing. Too many people are so focused on one and not the other, so focused on proclaiming the kingdom that they hurt people along the way, that they bring havoc rather than healing. And there are some even today who are so focused on healing wounds that they neglect the very method that those wounds will be healed, proclaiming God's kingdom. And so we need to do both. And the best, the most successful way of doing both is to spend time with people, to linger in the house that you're welcomed into. The other thing that we might realize in Jesus's instruction is the need for hospitality from others. The disciples brought nothing with them and were relying on God to provide for them. 
The way that provision was given was through people who were willing to invite them into their homes, to feed them, to provide for all of their needs. The disciples were sent to receive hospitality. And this too might be jarring for us because we, by and large, are used to being people with something to offer, being used to people who give rather than receive Sometimes our experience of the church has been the same, that the church wants to be sort of a powerful thing that tells people what they need and and offers people everything that they have. But this is not the way that Jesus sends his disciples. They're sent to receive hospitality. This should be no surprise to followers of Jesus. Jesus, the God who took on flesh and came to us as a helpless child, requiring the hospitality of a woman's womb, a family's stable, a father's protection. This God brings his kingdom humbly. By receiving hospitality, he knows our troubles and he meets us in them. And so too, he sends his followers as people who receive hospitality, that in knowing the very troubles of our world, we might join our humble Lord and working to mend them. When others share their stories with you, their lives with you, do you see those actions as actions of hospitality? I think that we need to. I think that we must. In sharing with us, our friends and colleagues, our students and classmates are in fact welcoming us into their lives. In a season when they cannot welcome us into their homes, they are welcoming us into their very lives, that we might know them and feel at peace with them. We still need the hospitality of those to whom we have been sent to love and to serve. And perhaps in these days of isolation, we need that kind of hospitality more than ever before. Jesus, he calls his friends out of fear and into faith. But the change doesn't stop there. Now welcomed into faith in a God who provides for their needs, the disciples are sent to act in that faith, to live a life of trusting in God's provision, and to believe that what they need to go about God's kingdom work in the world are not the things that they assumed they would need. They don't need staff or bag or money or extra shirt. Instead of worrying about being prepared, they may instead just go and do. Go and proclaim, go and heal, go and be Jesus. Friends of Jesus, you have been gathered into the presence of the living God. You have been given the gifts of Jesus' peace, a reminder of Jesus' word, an opportunity to know again his way. And soon you will be sent in faith to love and serve the Lord by loving and serving those who are nearest to you. You have been gathered so that you could be sent. You have been given good gifts so that they could be shared. No longer believe that you are ill-prepared for the good ministry that Jesus invites you into or that you are disadvantaged without still more time to study or prepare, to pack or to pray for the road that's ahead of you. 
In calling you, you have been changed. In sending you, Jesus sends you to announce his change to the world that you will meet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of questions for you to reflect on in just a minute of silence. The first question is, how is Jesus sending you into the week ahead? And the second question, if you maybe already have a keen sense of how you're being sent, is whose hospitality may you need to accept or to linger in this week? So time for you to pray and to reflect, to journal, to discuss with those around you. Thank you.